Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders podcast. I'm very happy that you have joined in here uh, today again. And obviously, I have lined up a brilliant guest for you, someone who puts a different angle on a topic that we mentioned from time to time in previous episodes, and that's psychological safety and how leaders can shape the cultures and build more psychological safety in their day-to-day -day work. And in this episode, I am joined by the one and only Melanie Pump, who is a CFO, so a very senior female leader and the author of a book called Detox, Managing Insecurity in the Workplace. And insecurity is someone we all experience, some less, some more, but everybody has some sort of insecurities. Melanie also describes her unique journey to the C-suite that is so different from many, many other people. She started her career without a high school diploma to becoming, in the end, an accomplished financial executive and business leader. She also experienced real hardship at a very young age, dropping out of school, um, getting into all sorts of unhealthy habits, alcohol, cigarettes, um, drugs. And yet, you know, she got back up, she took her life into her own hands, had some good people around her to support her along the way who truly believed in her, and she made it happen. Along the way, she has faced her fair share of workplace insecurities and toxic work environments herself. But through these experiences, she has learned to overcome them and increase her own sense of security. So she's going to share with us some insightful strategies for managing insecurity and increasing confidence in the workplace. And I hope you are going to get inspired by her actions, by her insights, by her learnings and how she is indeed consistently showing up as a beautiful and very authentic leader in her day-to-day -day work life. So enjoy the episode and I'm going to be speaking to you again in a moment. Hello, hello, Melanie. I was looking forward to meeting you today. So welcome yeah, to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. How are you today? It's Friday afternoon here. 
It is. Oh, it's Friday morning here. Uh, April uh, April first is uh, April Fool's Day in North America. I don't know if it's the same there as well. Yeah. yeah. And we woke up to snow today, so that was a little bit of uh, April Fools. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I actually, just stepped out on the balcony and it started to snow as well. And I thought it's April, right? It uh, yeah. to happen. Starting <laughs> the month with the cold weather uh, back again, cozying up inside. Hey ho. But uh, therefore, it's great to have conversations like those with you right now. And I was really and I'm still very excited to have this conversation with you. I think it will be one of those conversations where at some point I have to watch the clock and say, "Okay, probably we need to come to an end because there's so much in my head I'd like to cover here today. So let's see how far we gonna get. Great. When I say in my head, I want to cover quite a lot today. You have a wonderful position as a senior female leader. Um, You have been in part of the C-suite before. It would be fantastic, obviously, to talk about your personal journey to get there, which is different to a lot of other senior female leaders that I know. But also you have written this wonderful book called Detox. And I just said to you, I started reading it and found the perspectives in there fascinating, interesting, resonating. Now, a few themes and topics I picked out that I would love to take the audience with us and to delve deeper into here today. Awesome. I'd love to. So let's start with you. Do share with us a little bit more about yourself. So where are you based? What are you doing and how are you helping people around you? Yes, definitely. So I am uh, based in in Canada. That's why it's morning morning for me uh, today. But um, yeah, my background is um, you know as you mentioned um, t- today I'm I'm a CFO. I work in the technology space. But um, my journey, you know, as you said, was was a bit different from from the norm. I actually started my career um, as a receptionist at an environmental engineering firm when I was 20, and at that point I didn't have any education yet. I'd had a bit of a troubled upbringing, so I had. I hadn't even finished my my high school yet. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was so fortunate really earlier in my career to have um, really fallen into because I didn't know what decision I was making about the company I was joining at that point. But I lucked out into working for an amazing leader and and, uh, worked with her for seven years. And she supported me to realize what I was capable of and to have the courage to go back to school and get my bachelor and get my CPA designation and and um, grow grow my career. And, and during that time, when I was working for her. I had probably three or four promotions from receptionist up to eventually taking her position and then went on to other organizations and was able to grow my career that way. But, you know, as you say, I've now written a book called Detox, Managing Insecurity in the Workplace that comes from my journey because I realized if when I got into that workforce, I was really insecure. I didn't feel like I belonged, but that, but I was lucky to fall into an environment that made me feel safe and secure so that I could grow. And then over time, I've seen other work environments that don't create that kind of space for employees and really stunt their growth and don't allow them to discover what talents they may have. So, um, you know, having moved on in my career and and feeling so fortunate to have had some of the good experiences that I've had, I wanted to sort of put out into the world and, and help us see that if we create healthy, positive work environments, unexpected things can happen for people um, when they feel safe to grow uh, and learn in the workplace. So I've been advocating for that to really help um, people to see the benefits of having a positive work environment. Yeah. And it has always been such an important question, how to make the workplace a safer space, a happier space. 
However, I'm also observing that it has become an even more important question now that we are, or a lot of organizations work more in a hybrid way or still working from home and so on and so forth. So how to build safety and connection and inclusion in that space. And, and we are going to focus on that to a large extent. However, I would like to come back to your bio a little bit more, mm. because I believe you're one of the people that I'm meeting whose obstacles in life kind of uh, created some some uh, tailwinds and headwinds at the same time. Yes. But some obstacles in our lives might help us progress, might help us remain very humble, perhaps as well, and might even motivate us to do things differently. All of this, I feel, applies to you. But it would be great to hear a little bit more about the obstacles that you have experienced. Yeah, and, and I, I really I, I agree, you know, wholeheartedly that sometimes challenges can actually uh, drive us forward, um, and it, and it also gives us a different perspective. So because I, I did grow up in an environment. Uh, where, you know, we didn't have a lot. And I ended up um, on my own uh, by the time I was 15. So having to worry about taking care of myself and, and also just realizing that unexpected things happen in life. And uh, they're not and they're no one's fault. Um, so that's given me an incredible amount of empathy as a leader, uh, because I don't have judgment over how anybody got to be where they are, uh, which, I, which I think for the people who are, who are on my team, it gives them a greater ability to, to grow and feel safe because they know that I'm never judging or questioning. Uh, I just really believe in them and know that we just need to find uh, where their talents lie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I would be that empathetic if it weren't for uh, the background that I have and, and um, how I got to the place that I'm in today. Yeah. So at the age of 15, you lived on your own. Mm-hmm. And, um, your parents were divorced at that point of time, I believe. Yeah, my parents divorced when I was about four or five years old and my father moved to the other side of the country. So my mom was was mostly um, on, on her own. So that, so that is sort of what led to the complexity and the, and the financial financial challenges. So you basically experienced how to be poor, how to look after yourself. Right. And at a very young age, you also learned how to get out of that situation. Right. And not, I make it quickly, like I, yeah. so, so lots of mistakes. Like I, so I did end up like, as, as I mentioned, dropping out of high school, because when you're, when you're 15, 16, you know, you, you, you're not good at long-term thinking. You don't understand always that the decisions you're making today are going to impact you. You know, at that time, I just wanted to feel safe and high school for me didn't feel like a safe place. So this, this also sort of ties into some things that I talk about, uh, particularly about psychological safety. So the things we talk about in the work environment, it does apply to everything in life. And uh, so for the similar reasons as to why I dropped out of high school, because I, I didn't feel safe there either. But that, of course, ended up being a decision that that slowed down my my progress and just gave me one more thing to, to overcome. So what was it in high school that made you feel unsafe? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I've told this story and I, and I can, it's a great example of, of psychological safety because during this time when I, when I was going through some turmoil, I, I would sometimes just not, when you don't have a parent to get you to go to school, sometimes you just don't go. And uh, I had um, two teachers um, at this time. One of them was my French teacher and one was my social studies teacher. And when I would go to class, the French teacher 
pulled me aside and, and he said to me, you know, I see that you're, you're going through a difficult time and you haven't been coming to class as much and you're not performing up to what I know you're capable of. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be able to support you um, through this. And how can I help you to, to um, overcome the challenges that you're facing and ensure that you come to class because I know what you're capable of. My social studies teacher, when I came to class, said to me, oh, look, we have a new student in class today, or look who's decided to grace us with their presence in the Mm -hmm. class today, um, would do things that actually created shame for me Mm -hmm. um, and made me even more reluctant to go to that class. So what do you think happened? I failed that social studies class. I think this was in grade nine. I failed that class. I got a B in the French class because that teacher created an environment that I actually felt safe going to because recognized that I was having problems, but he tried to see, he put it in a perspective of how can he support me, not in shaming me for the problems or the decisions that I was making. So that, that was it. There was much more of that shaming type behavior for the things that, that, um, that I was going through at that time in my school environment, than the creating safety. And that's ultimately what ended, um, with me just, just not going because there weren't enough, there wasn't enough of the safety created. It's, it's so interesting what impact, long-term impact it can have on um, individuals. I had a similar conversation with my partner the other day who grew up in Ireland. And in Ireland, apparently in a lot of schools, it was the norm that you are beaten um, with a stick, that you are being put down, that you are being told that you come from challenged background and therefore you are worth nothing, basically really disheartening. And when I listen to his stories, I'm just like, how can you be the way you are right now? It's very healthy, very open, non-judgmental, kind, because I believe it can take a lot of work and effort to turn everything around to say, look, I'm going to prove that I can do it differently. It's true. It really does. But I also do think, you know, those people, you know, like the French teacher, I do remember that story because he stood out and, and, uh, you know, he's somebody who over time I've reached out to and said, thank you for the care that, that he gave me because he did um, show me um, and, and remind me what I'm capable of. So even though there was, you know, difficulties and challenges, maybe it's, you know, each of us have a different perspective, but I really hung on to that good stuff. Um, I kept that in in my mind. And I, I think those things are what helped me push through when I did get into environments where I had opportunity. I'm like, okay, I remember this person saying to me, I could do this before too. And now I have this opportunity. I'm going to, I'm going to push through. So it really, you know, each of us make, make a difference, um, both for the good and the bad. And, and uh, I think those good bits, if you hang on to them, can, can carry you forward. I love it when podcast guests can give me goosebumps, which you've just done, <laughs> uh, because you held on to that positive experience, right? And I believe you are also giving that positive experience back. So when we talk about inclusion, for example, how can we share our learnings from the challenges with other people in the most human way and show them, you know, we all have some sort of package and this is what we can do with it. And this is what we still can achieve and encourage other people to, you know, follow their dreams, whatever they are. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of that is, is for e- each of us to really understand the impact that, that we can have. Uh, a company that I worked at a, a number of years ago had a really great value. One of their values was every interaction matters. And that's something that's always stuck with me as well, because I really do believe that. Like we, we need to think about it with our interactions, because sometimes we have a greater impact on people than, than we realize. And this is both for the positive and the negative. Um, so when, when it comes to inclusion, if we are uh, dismissive of somebody, we sometimes we don't even realize that we do these things, that we dismiss somebody or minimize their, their thoughts, that can really stay with them. So we really have to be thoughtful or careful with our words, and especially as leaders, because people do look to leaders for modeling behaviors and to value themselves and see how they're doing. And if a leader is, is minimizing or dismissive of someone, that can really stick with them, just as positive can too. Yeah, 100%. And it has an impact on the leader as well, because people usually talk about, in particular, negative experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So so we have spoken about your years in high school. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned before that you, at the age of 20, you became a receptionist. Mm-hmm. What happened in between? You know, I, um, I realized when I, well, I had some bad experiences after dropping out of high school because when you, when you don't have a lot of time or, or a lot of things to do, you can tend to get into trouble. So there's definitely, there was some drugs involved and there were some people that came into my life that, that weren't healthy for me, but that only went on for a couple of years. And then when I was 17, I essentially just woke up and realized, you know, I I am better than this. I I can't leave myself in this environment. I see what's happening around me. And um, as I mentioned earlier, my father had moved to the other side of the country. And uh, for for reasons of his own, my father has always loved me deeply and wanted to be there for me. He just wasn't able to stay in the same province is what, what it is in Canada. Anyway, so I called him and I said, I need to get out of this situation. This is not healthy for me. And he bought me a plane ticket and I flew and moved to the other side of the country when I was 17, almost 18. And then I, I worked for in hotels for, for a couple of years, actually, and, and stopped drinking, stopped smoking, stopped doing drugs um, and just worked probably, you know, 14 hours a day. I had two jobs for about two years just trying to figure myself out and lived um, in downtown Toronto. And, uh, and then after doing that for a while, that was when I realized, okay, I, I want to get out of shift work. I, I need to try and do more. And that was when I moved into the receptionist position. So I just had a few years of, of just really not being sure of, of what to do with myself. Yeah. Oh, and figuring it out. I mean, that's what younger yeah. years are about as well, right? Yeah. Being okay and, and with trying to get healthy and trying to, to, you know, figure out what, what I wanted. And, and uh, you know, then, as I say, ending up in this company, as a receptionist. And then that that's really where my life turned around. And you mentioned early on the uh, manager you were working with. So your manager at that point of time, you worked together for seven years and she had such a positive impact on you. So what did she do or not do that um, created that impact? Yeah, you know, it's, it's for one, she just really believed in me, like from the very beginning, from the interview process, um, she saw somebody in something in me. And, you know, it, it wasn't just her as well. There were a number of people in that environment who seemed to recognize me as a, as a diamond in the rough and saw that, you know, having me just at the reception desk, because I actually was only at the reception desk for three months. They saw right away that I was capable of, of doing something more. And really um, just created those opportunities for me. And 
they paid for me to go to school as well. And just a let created safety. Like I, I didn't feel threatened. I felt believed in, uh, which is something that I hadn't had uh, for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And that really allowed me to flourish. It's like the, the French teacher coming right back into yes. different experiences in your yeah. life. And, and, you know, this, uh, the woman that I, that I speak of there, she was also, she had a daughter who was, who was a bit younger than me. Um, so I think there was a bit of a, of a, a mother aspect of that as well, because she really cared about me as a, as a person, not just as, you know, somebody that was on her team to get, to get work done. And that really made a difference. And that is something that I've carried forward myself as a leader as well, as I, I don't look at my employees as just there to get the work done, because I believe that we don't leave our, you know, our personal lives at the door that comes in. And and if we're allowed to be our whole person at work, I believe we're going to be even more successful. And that is what she did for me. Like she, she knew what was going on in my life. She um, cared about me as a whole person. And I think that also gave me even more space to, to grow because I was just being myself in that environment. I love the aspect of the whole person. I think my mm-hmm. my listeners definitely know about that. I mention it on a regular basis. And in particular, the fact that you've just mentioned we are not leaving our personality, our personal lives in front of the office door. Yeah. We are one person in our personal lives and professional lives. However, a lot of leaders keep asking me, so how am I going to do that to consider the whole person every day as a leader when there is so much to achieve, so much pressure, and so on and so forth. So how am I going to do that? What what advice would you give to your colleagues and peers in terms of little moments where you can really appreciate that whole person? Yeah, I, you know, and I've been asked many times too about, um, you know, how, how to be a good leader, or what are the steps you need to take? And, you know, my, my answer to that always is to be yourself. Like, I, I really do believe being a great leader, a, a real base to that is, is authenticity. So starting with that, and even if, you know, being who you are, isn't perfect, well, being who we are, none of us are perfect, but being okay to, to show that to your team is a really good starting point because then it allows them to to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So as far as, as, um, you know, how do you acknowledge the whole person that, that you're, that the people on your team are, I do think that starts with you being truly who you are, because then they will show you themselves. So then it actually doesn't even really become work to think about the whole person, because that's actually just the natural state of your, of your team or your, your department mm-hmm. where people don't feel like they need to necessarily um, hold back who, who they are. Um, and then that just makes it easier because you don't even need to be going and going, sitting down with someone and being, okay, today I'm going to acknowledge the whole person. That's just who people bring, bring to the meetings. Um, and that, that just creates a natural flow to the environment. And have you ever been in a position where you were your authentic self? However, the system around you wasn't perhaps ready to accept that level of authenticity. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that the... Uh, place around me wasn't willing to uh, or could wasn't in a place to accept that authenticity. I've certainly been in environments where, uh, you know, I have very strong values and I I can't work within an environment that doesn't align with with my values. So for me to be authentic, I do um, have to say no in certain situations or or not accept certain things. I have left organizations because of of that kind of scenario. So you could say they they weren't ready for my authentic self because they they weren't ready to live by some of the values that that I choose to live by. 
So authenticity clearly seems to be one of your key values. It, it definitely is one of one of my key values. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being being authentic, and then of course, um, it's it's not so much even a value to me, but but treating people well in in the workplace and and thinking, you know, having a people first environment. I believe in that, but I don't just believe in it because of of the doing the right thing, which it is. But I also truly believe in it for, for the business. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, as we've, um, I don't know that we've actually mentioned that, that my background is financial. So I've been in the C-suite. My role is as a CFO. So typically we're very, very numbers focused. Yeah. And of course, of course I am, but I do believe that the greatest driver for those numbers is the people. And that if you aren't treating people right and creating that safe environment for employees, the business actually won't be successful. Um, so, so that is a driver for me, both from the fact that I care deeply about people, but also that um, I believe that's how businesses will be successful. Yeah. And in your book, I know you have highlighted quite a few benefits of being this authentic and very human self and how you can literally measure it as well. But it would mm-hmm. be great just to highlight a few of those KPIs here on the show as well. I read a lot and talk a lot about people first or hear it a lot from others. And I'm fully with you. I I think it's so important. I still feel there's more education to be done in terms of how that can create financial success. Right. Yeah. And and, um, there's some really key ones like the um, that that are likely talked about. You may have talked about, but um, things like, you know, employee turnover, you know, employee turnover is so expensive uh, for corporate environments. For one, recruitment is incredibly expensive. Uh, Recruitment is risky because often uh, you do not hire the right person and then have to revisit it. So every time you turn over an employee, it's creating risk and cost to an organization, plus the time um, with training, all, all of these types of things. So that, that is right there, an important one. But also, um, even if people stay in your organization, if you don't create an environment that is safe, safe for learning and growth, uh, you're not going to have the same sort of succession uh, planning or promotions within a company. So you may, people may stay in your organization, but if it isn't a healthy organization that promotes growth, they'll stall and be stagnant in, in positions rather than grow within the organization and create those, you know, pipelines that, that um, really successful companies need where they have people ready to grow and be promoted within the company. Then the other things are um, innovation. In order for a company to innovate, it needs people who are who feel safe throwing out ideas and saying what they think and saying when they think something isn't being done um, up to the high standard or being um, not to be afraid to say when either they've made a mistake or they've seen something go wrong. If you have an environment where People feel like they have to, you know, cover their ass, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to hide problems. Um, they're going to be afraid to throw out an idea, and that can also really stunt uh, the growth of a company. In fact, um, organizations like like Google, you know, some of the most innovative companies that we know in the world, they very intentionally work to create psychological safety within their environments because they know that that is how they will get the best ideas thrown out and how their processes will continue to be improved because people feel comfortable taking the risk that throwing out an idea um, can actually involve. Yeah, I love that you say they do it very intentional. And Mm -hmm. I was trying to copy a few times in my corporate days um, some of the methods that Google are using to build that level of psychological safety. Something I've experienced was that 
the ideas landed very positively, uh, were taken on board, were experimented with. But at some point, when you really need the whole workforce to play a role in it as well, I noticed it stalled because we need to focus on that project and we need to focus on that. We don't have time for this. So the mm. key feedback was always, we don't have time for this. It's great, but not key priority. And mm. I, I realized, and I'm speaking about like 10 years ago, I got really frustrated, <laughs> but I didn't necessarily influence it at that time as mm. positively as I could have done. So, so that's something I, I just want to call out in terms of observation, how often this pressure Yes. To deliver on something else gets in the way of actually building that key component, the foundation of success. And and, and I see the same thing. Like the, the, the greatest challenge, um, because I, I am a, a believer that, that we all want to do good and we all want to treat each other well and create opportunities. But, but what I see happening in the work environment is, uh, or in the corporate environments uh, more specifically, is there is so many short-term targets. And uh, especially if, let's say, you're a publicly traded company, so you have quarterly targets and goals that you need to make or other your stock price is going to fall. Um, those kinds of things create a sense of urgency and danger, really, within leaders that they may not meet those targets. And when when some, so that kind of puts people into like a fight drive, we need to get this done. And when that happens, sometimes we we stop thinking about the things around us and the people around us because we come become too hyper focused on uh, on a short term goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when that happens, unfortunately, sometimes thinking about the health of the environment and and um, growing your employees falls away. I think you are also a great example of building it into everyday life mm-hmm. and just making it a habit. Yeah, but I you know I am certainly far from perfect. Like what I, what I just explained there about the, the short-term goals um, that happens to me too. And, and I have to often just stop and remind myself. And, and when I do see that, and I've actually had that happen recently, you know, as we, you and I talked about it earlier, I'm working in a startup right now, which is, um, you know, very high intensity. And, and, uh, and there's been moments when I've realized I'm not being the leader that, that I want to be for, for my employees. And, and uh, when I recognize that um, I tell them that, and I actually, just had a conversation the other day with with someone on my team and said that I don't feel that I've been there for her as much as I would like to be and um, and that I truly uh, want to support her so that was me um, being authentic and letting her know that so if I hadn't been as communicative or maybe as open to her ideas recently as I would like to be uh, that it's about me not about her so at least I'm not um, creating insecurity that she thinks it's something about her performance, or really it's just about, about my situation and, and me having too many things on the go. So that doesn't make it right, but at least it's recognizing the situation. And it shows that you are noticing. Yes. So I'm yes. trying to put myself into your shoes, a busy CEO, new-ish role, startup, um, fast-growing leader. A lot on your mind, yet you are able to notice that you might not have been there for this person or the team as much as you wanted to. So what helps you notice? I mean, I mean, for me, because it really is top of top of mind. And and I and I've also been in those situations before, like with leaders who are really busy. So I understand what that would feel like for her and and how, especially in this remote environment, it, it's it's even magnified now because 
not only uh, am I less available, I'm not walking through the office to even say good morning to her or let her know that I'm thinking about her. And so it really magnifies the situation. So how do I see that? I mean, I think it just comes down to, to empathy and, and um, you know, my go-to is to think about how are other people feeling and, uh, and that's, so that is what I'm reacting to. And have you ever experienced moments, a very close question, but where you focusing on how other people may be feeling, where it got in the way, where it stopped you perhaps from doing something you wanted to do or achieve something you wanted to achieve? I am sure that that, that, that has absolutely happened. I, I, I could put it, I, I think that it may have been more likely to happen in my personal life than in my work life. At work life, I do... Um, although I always keep my team on, on my mind, um, I do ensure that we, at the same time, uh, achieve what we need to achieve um, and just maintain open dialogue when, when the situation isn't perfect um, in general. But, but certainly um, thinking about others can be distracting, but I think more from on a personal level than necessarily um, in the workplace. It's a question I often receive from women I work with. Mm -hmm. um, I support um, women in leadership programs. And quite often they say, how do I balance my mm -hmm. level of empathy, my deep connection to my um, emotions and awareness with also being very clear, honest, mm -hmm. challenging when need to be and achieving my targets? It often sounds like it's the one or the other. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I, you know, you, you've got me thinking about thinking about this and because uh, what I, I mean, one thing I will say there, there probably has been times where I have sacrificed um, myself for, for others and, and even with, with on my team. But what I do think is that it comes back around. So even if like, let's say I have taken on something extra because I was, I was concerned that someone on my team, that it would, if I gave it to them, it would be a breaking point because they already had so much on their plate. And as a result, I had to work, you know, another 10 hours that week, which was detrimental to, to my personal life. Let's say the loyalty that that creates in the people on the team, knowing that I'm thinking about them when I then need their support and help at a later time, they're there then for me. So I can't think of a time where it's where being empathetic or trying to be thoughtful about others, maybe it's hurt me in the moment, but overall, I think it's always benefited me in the long run uh, because I've now throughout my career, most of the jobs that I've had uh, probably over the past 10 years have all come from people who I've worked with before, or um, even people who were on my teams before have, have connected me with someone because they know that they can trust me and that I do what I say I'm going to do. And that I, and that I do think about the impact on everybody in situations and, and that creates trust. I'm loving this, that you really focus on, you know, what will come back and trust building and really showing again, authentically up as a leader, the leader who you are. The right, person exactly. you are exactly for one very short moment. I want to come back to your early stages in life and the impact it had on your successful career so far. I might have a completely wrong assumption here, but you highlighted early on that it makes you even more human, basically, if you can say that, towards your team that you, your background hasn't always been perfect and you haven't had the red carpet rolled out for you. And sharing that actually builds a strong connection. 
Now, my assumption is it could perhaps sometimes also be challenging, in particular, the more senior you become in leadership roles, when people learn about your background, that they may challenge it perhaps a little bit or are being skeptical. What's your experience with that? Well, I mean, I, I wrote a book about insecurity for a reason, uh, because <laughs> I, I, I know about it, because certainly for a long time in my career, I I did feel insecure about my background. And I even, um, I didn't talk about it. Like the, for the first probably 15 years, at least of my career, nobody knew uh, that I hadn't finished high school. And, and I rarely talked about my, how I went through university because I didn't go to full-time university like most people did. And, and uh, so I, I felt very insecure about it and, and honestly hid myself to, to a certain extent because I didn't want anybody to notice me. You know, fortunately in the field that I chose, accounting, nobody expects you to be an extrovert. Nobody expects you to be putting yourself out there. So you can grow your career and, and move up the ladder um, without having to put yourself out there. Um, it's really only been over the past, like, let's say five years, where I've really started to realize, okay, I've done something. Um, I'm actually now at the same level, if not higher than people who had come into gone to university at the same time that I would have if I'd come um, right out of high school. So I've, I've really started to, to realize there's nothing for me to feel um, shameful about. Um, so now I do speak up and I do say my mind and, and, um, and I'm able to add so much more value to companies because I have all this experience and now I'm not afraid to, to speak up and say what I think. Yeah. But definitely for a long time, um, I did. And, and I would say that even though I've had a lot of career growth, it did limit my growth for a while because I felt insecure and uh, not confident enough to really push myself forward. I'm very glad that you did, though. Yeah. And actually, one but... more, I should comment because you said about people questioning um, and I didn't I didn't answer that part of it. You know, the really interesting part is uh, nobody ever has. Um, questioned my background or my my abilities. Like I, um, in fact, if I had been more open about it, I think I might have even have gone further and faster in my career because my experience really is, you know, as I said, most people do want to support each other and they especially want to see people overcome challenges. And I actually believe that if I'd been more open about my background um, earlier on, I, I probably would have had more support and, and opportunities. So, you know, I I am really um, a strong believer in, in that, you know, most of us are, are good people and, and want to see each other succeed. And when we don't act that way, it's often because of other things that are happening in our lives um, that are driving us. Otherwise, uh, we all really do want to see um, success for each other. You know what? I've just noticed that my own background got in my way and influenced my assumptions. Um, Germanic background. Um, my first work experiences were in Germany. And I still realize, however, it's changing slowly that the first thing recruiters will pay attention to is um, all your references, your university degree. So is it a one point or is it a two point? It's still happening. And you, you literally have to show all your educational um, background and certificates and so on. It's very kind of um, status orientated or has been, as I said, it starts to change as well. Yeah. And I found it liberating to go to the UK and move to the UK and to work internationally and to dismantle that who should I be mm -hmm. and into who am I? 
and how can I actually thrive because that's who I am yeah and it's been such a deep long and to a certain extent painful process however that has been hugely liberating that's that's really interesting and, and you know you, you've highlighted that it to, it probably does depend on the environment um, because certainly there are some places um, here in Canada as well where uh, you know where you got your MBA from uh, really makes it really makes a difference and and people do look for those types of things um, you know in certain like banks for example they're more likely to look for that but the way I think about that is that I don't want to work in a bank you know I, I don't want to work somewhere where they are going to look at my resume and be well okay well this person didn't go to that university or you know I really do want to be somewhere that aligns with my values, which is that all of us have potential and talents. Uh, we just need to, to um, give each other the opportunity to find them and to learn and grow. So if if there are people out there that would look at my resume, my background and, and question it, that's fine because those probably aren't the people that I want to be working with. I want to be working with the people who look at my background and my resume and go, wow, this person's had a lot of really interesting experience and a unique journey that probably means they're going to be able to add a perspective to the organization that we don't currently have. That's the kind of place that I want to be. Absolutely. And that's something that happened then with me as well, paying attention to values. Are they connecting? Mm-hmm. You know, um, And the way you show up at work changes right away. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a topic I'm very passionate about. And at the same time, I'm looking through your book because you started to talk about the insecurities that you felt, not necessarily other people towards you, but you, right? Mm-hmm. In your book, you're writing about your own imposter, but also everybody has insecurities. Yes. I'd love to learn or, or share at least with the audience a little bit more about that. What makes you say everybody has insecurities? How do people show it and how does it impact their leadership? Yeah. And, you know, my opinion on, on insecurity is we have, I, I think in the book, I refer to it as, you know, we have a, a bucket, a bucket of insecurity, all of us, and yeah. it can come from different things. You know, often it is rooted in, in what's happened to us um, in our childhood. Um, so whether, you know, we didn't feel loved or somebody would say was really hard on us about a certain aspect of our personality or our skill set, and, and that stays with us. And, and so later on in life, somebody might say something, you know, for example, if you're really messy growing up and you're always uh, being told that you're the messy one. And then somebody at work makes a comment about your desk being messy. All of a sudden that can put your back up because it's like connecting to some insecurity that you had back when you were, you were a child. And so we all have these things within us. And, and what, what I believe is that that can overflow. So we all have it anyways, but then if you add on, you get into a work environment that also feels unsafe and you have a boss who's bullying you or making you feel shameful those feelings of insecurity can just boil over. And then we're in a a really permanent state of feeling insecure. And what that can do is make us really, really defensive uh, because we feel like we need to be protecting ourselves, but it also makes us really risk adverse and, and afraid of taking chances and trying new things and learning because that could just make us feel even more insecure if we try something and we're not good at it, or we throw out an idea and somebody says it's a bad one. So then we're just sort of in this protection mode all the time because of those feelings of insecurity. Oh gosh, you take me back to so many different experiences today. Uh, I was just thinking about how I grew up in a very loving environment right? and my parents are still married and um, I have a sister, but no matter what I did, I felt it's never good enough. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, not the right um, results at school, 
if my mom my mom was working and I started cleaning the house, um, she would come home and literally point out all the parts that I've missed and I haven't done properly, never feeling enough. And I was just putting myself back into some of my first middle manager roles where I was constantly concerned about showing a piece of work or just sharing something that wasn't perfect yet to get feedback because I was already, my mind was already prone to think about what might not be right about it. Right. Of, let's get that feedback. Let's talk about it and then, you know, get it right together. Right. And, and those things do, do stick with us, you know, where, whereas I, you know, had some experiences in my early childhood where, you know, it would always be pointed out what was wrong in everything that I did. And that, and that is what made me just start to hide myself because I didn't want it to be pointed out because it hurts every time somebody points out um, what's wrong in, in the thing that you've done. Um, so my uh, reaction to that was to kind of go into protection mode. So those, those things do, do stay with us. And, and that's it. Like, you know, we say we don't leave our personal lives at the door when we go into, into work. We also bring in all the things that we've learned, um, you know, during our whole life and, and that impacts our behavior at work. Yeah, 100%. And another key topic and theme in your book is um, the, the environments we are building. It can be a toxic environment. It can be a hugely healthy environment. So what does a toxic environment, it's a strong word, right? Toxic, feel and look like? What are some of the components of it? Mm-hmm. And, and when we, you know, if, if you first think of a toxic work environment, we, our minds often go to, you know, leaders who are yelling or bullies or, you know, that, that type of thing. And, and those obviously will create a toxic work environment. But there are other things that, that, uh, that can make, make an environment toxic. You know, for example, if, um, if there's a lot of uncertainty in a workplace, so if people don't know what's expected of them, or they don't know where the company is going, they don't know how secure their job is, um, that can also put people into an, an insecure state. So if you're in a work environment where there's really low transparency, so people don't talk to you about your performance, they just ask you to do stuff and don't tell you why, that kind of thing can also create toxicity because people feel that sense of uncertainty and then they'll go into protection mode as well because you know our jobs are are so important for our livelihoods so if we feel that we don't know what's happening or we don't have control over that job or the environment that's going to make us feel insecure as well and create that toxic workplace and i think you mentioned already quite a few top tips with regards to healthy environments i want us to to think a little bit bigger right now like big organization, leaders on the top with the board or a leadership team that drive the business and the vision forward. And I wonder how you can create in a big corporate tanker, for example, a very healthy environment. So part of that, you know, as, as I just mentioned, you know, I, transparency to me is, is critically important. Of course, there's there's times in companies where uh, leaders can't be transparent about certain things. There are, you know, if there's a transaction happening that's confidential, but as much as possible, I think often leaders don't give employees enough credit for what they see is happening in a company. Uh, employees see when things are changing. Um, they see when a business is, is in a financially difficult position, for example. 
often leaders don't share what's happening with employees. And then that, that creates, well, for one, people don't feel trusted, um, but they also start to feel really uncertain about what's happening in, in the business. So as much as possible, I do recommend uh, over communication, um, being transparent with your teams um, so that that can come all the way from the top. And then also, you know, role clarity is also really important in all organizations, but in large organizations too, you know, so what is, what is somebody's role and how is that adding value to the company? And, and what are their, what are the expectations and goals of each person's role? When we know um, what's expected of us and where we're going in a company, that just creates so much more stability and security uh, for employees. So those two things, you know, and it does come back to transparency, but transparency and, and clarity within a company can really uh, help to have a healthy environment. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And what, what you just mentioned are day-to-day -day interactions, basically, day-to-day -day habits that we can form. It's not the big change, the big transformation. It's how we can show those behaviors on a very consistent level and right. are more aware of our communication style, tone, level of information. Right. Yeah. Right. And in those things, and, you know, you know, to go back to my every interaction matters as well. You know, I know for leaders in a company, you know, you know, being thoughtful about the small things. You know, when you're walking down um, a hallway, which, you know, it doesn't happen as much now in this remote world, but acknowledge people. Uh, simple things like that too can also um, improve the health of an organization. You know, people like to feel included. They like to feel like they matter. Um, so even just um, acknowledging people is a simple thing that can make a difference. Yeah. And last but not least, I'm curious, uh, as I highlighted a few times, um, the female leader and now in a startup as a CFO, and you have been in a number of organizations before. So it would be great to get your insights into what makes a successful leadership team that consists probably of diverse backgrounds, sex, perspectives, experience. What helps, what hinders? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I have been um, in many different industries and, and uh, many male-dominated industries because uh, I started my career in engineering and then was in mining and now tech. There's been many scenarios where um, I am the only female leader on that leadership team. But you know, regardless of, of the gender of, of the makeup of that team, I believe, you know, it really comes down to respect and, and trust. Uh, leadership teams can really only function when people trust each other's intentions. They're driving towards a common goal and respect each other. And those are that really has to form the foundation. But part of that comes together with really thoughtfully creating um, the leadership team and making sure that you're bringing the, the right people on the team that have values that, that align. Um, and as much as possible, ensuring that you're hiring people that have the right skills for the jobs that they're being brought in for and are ready to, to move the company forward. Um, I talk of one thing that I talk about in my book is over promotion and the, the importance of the fit of uh, the people because insecurities can also be created if, if If people are put onto a leadership leadership team when they're not ready, for example, or they're put onto that team for, for the wrong reasons. And, uh, and that can really create dysfunction on a team. So, so being really thoughtful about the creation of that team and the, that you're putting the right people on it can lead to greater success. Now you give me a challenging and reflective thought, and that is the thought about 
Absolutely. In theory, that's that makes sense. And if you can build your own leadership team, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Now you may enter a leadership team that hasn't put together in such a thoughtful way as you just presented. And you may not be perceiving the respect that you want to experience. So mm-hmm. how, how do you call that out? How do you make sure that you focus on feeling psychologically safe instead of focusing on your insecurities, basically? Mm-hmm. It is difficult. So it comes down to you thinking about what is what is your t- your area. So, you know, I have certainly gone into teams like that before where where there is some dysfunction. You know, you can't influence what's what's happening in other people's departments. So in those kind of situations, you have to as much as possible um, ensure that you're creating a healthy microculture um, within your department. So I've made every effort to do that and then continue to st- stick by my values um, with that team and model as well as I can the kind of behaviors and the kind of respect and trust that I want to have with, with my peers, trying to ensure that even when um, an environment hasn't, or a leadership team hasn't found that cadence yet, that I'm modeling the behaviors and continuing to keep speak up with my opinion as much as I can to show the direction that we need to go. Um, and, and that isn't always easy. And, and uh, certainly insecurity can get the better of you. But um, the only way to create a healthy environment or to participate in the creation of a healthy environment is to continue modeling those healthy behaviors yourself and to try not to get dragged, um, dragged into um, using unhealthy uh, behavior. Absolutely. One step after the other and focus on yeah. what's in your control right away. Yeah. One of the last questions, Melanie, before I let you go. So how do you find this inner balance? You come across so calm and composed and yet energetic. So what do you do outside of work to, you know, make sure you can be like that? Well, I mean, I, it's certainly been an, an evolution um, over over the years. Uh, absolutely. I've learned that I um, need to stop uh, once in a while and breathe uh, because just like everybody, I can get caught up in the energy and the anxiety um, that comes from being um, in the corporate world. I allow myself the space to stop and, and uh, you know, so just really on a, on a practical level, at least once a day, I stop and put an eye mask on and put earplugs in and close the world out for 10 or 15 minutes. So some, you know, a bit, a bit of meditation, because it, it just does come to come down to the brain. Sometimes the brain can just get too excited and too stimulated. And when you get in that space, it's really, really hard to broaden your focus and look at your team because you just get laser focused on directly um, what's in front of you. So I try to pause and give my brain a break is really all that it is so that I can come back to, to being that calm, calm person. Um, it's also reminding myself that I've been through harder things often, you know, rather than letting myself get too worked up about what's in front of me, taking a step back once in a while and go, okay, like I've done hard things. I've gone into new industries. I've, I've learned, I've been through challenges and reminding myself that I'm, that I'm capable so that I don't, you know, get to, you know, don't sweat the small stuff, so so to speak, because um, I've been through harder things. And quite a few people have seen it before you have seen it already. So that's, for me, very encouraging. The, the French teacher, managers in your life, um, mm-hmm. who have clearly all seen there's a lot of potential. Thank yes, you. there is. And, 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 you know, also coming back to the 
you know, as I said many times that most of us ultimately do want to support each other. And, and uh, it is an easier way to walk through life, um, believing the best of intentions in, in people and, uh, and, and keeping that and, and knowing that, you know, if somebody does, if I do have a negative interaction with someone, um, it's probably because of something that they're going through and, and not overly internalizing it myself, because that can just make me be, be harder on my, on myself than, than what I need to be. Yeah, agreed. Thank you so, so much. Before we let you go, you've got to share with us where people can find this beautiful book. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you. So, so it, it is um, available on uh, on Amazon. Um, you can also go to my website, uh, which is melaniepump.com. Uh, and then also feel free to connect with me um, on LinkedIn. Um, that is sort of where I'm where I'm the most active. So I welcome uh, welcome connections there. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. I could um, dive into so many other topics, but I think the audience can also read through the book and learn more about all of your experiences and some top tips that you are sharing in uh, your book, Detox, Managing Insecurity in the Workplace. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time and for all your wise input and for being you. Thank you, Melanie. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And to all of you out there, as always, love to hear about your feedback, any questions, input that you may have for us. Please drop us a note. Um, we'd love to hear from you. But for now, have a wonderful weekend and take good care. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.